Hey, it's Gabe. I want to recommend a podcast I think you'll enjoy called What Could Go Right. On What Could Go Right, the hosts, Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varva-Lucas, sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues. They look back at how far society has come and look forward to what it will take to achieve a brighter future. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, listen to What Could Go Right wherever you get your podcasts. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that surfs the channels of history every day of the week. I'm Gabe Lusier, and in this episode, we're talking about what's still the longest Writers Guild strike of all time, including the ways it changed what people watched and how they watched it. The day was March 7th, 1988. The Writers Guild of America began one of the longest union strikes in Hollywood history. It lasted all the way until August 7th, spanning a total of 153 days. Dozens of movies and TV shows were affected during the strike, including high-profile projects like Star Trek The Next Generation and Tim Burton's Batman. The production delays reportedly cost the industry about $500 million, and of course, many of the strikers suffered financially as well. Union members eventually reached a compromise with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, the AMPTP. But during the 22 weeks when the strike was on, America's cultural landscape changed in some unexpected and long-lasting ways. Rumblings of a writer's strike began in late 1987, when TV producers tried to switch writers to a sliding payment scale for certain kinds of shows. Up until that point, writers were paid a fixed amount any time their work was rebroadcast after its original airing. The fees from those reruns, known as residuals, were and still are a crucial part of a writer's income. That's why it was such a sticking point for union members when the producers tried to change the terms of those payments. The argument was that syndication prices had declined, and as a result, the studios weren't making as much money off their reruns as they once had. Producers felt it was only fair that writers share part of that burden and take the financial hit as well. 
They insisted that from that point on, any residuals from domestic syndicated reruns of one-hour TV shows would be paid on a sliding scale. The more money the studio earned from syndication, the higher the payment. Writers bristled at the new restriction, but it wasn't the sole cause of the strike. Members of the WGA also wanted more creative control of their scripts, as well as higher residuals for reruns broadcast overseas. Negotiations stalled after several months, and at 12.01 Pacific Time on March 1, 1988, the then-current contract between the AMPTP and the WGA expired. One week later, at 9 a.m. on March 7th, roughly 9,000 movie and television writers officially went on strike. While a union strike is never ideal for Hollywood, the timing could have been a lot worse from the TV studio's perspective. That's because the strike was called in early spring, just as TV production was winding down for the summer. TV viewership always takes a hit in the summer months, so networks use that time of year to prepare their next batch of shows for the fall. In the meantime, they typically air a lot of reruns to save money. So while the 1988 strike did cause networks to lean more heavily on reruns, for most viewers, it just seemed like business as usual. At least for the first few months. Because while the initial timing of the strike had softened its blow, the longer it dragged on, the more studios and viewers began to feel its effects. The start of the fall TV season was a big deal in those days. Premieres were heavily marketed and often drew in tens of millions of viewers. But without writers to draft scripts over the summer, there was nothing to premiere come September. The whole schedule wound up being delayed by about six weeks, and some of the more writing-intensive shows like MacGyver and other hour-long dramas didn't have new episodes ready until close to the end of the year. The fallout from those delays was fairly significant. Primetime ratings for NBC, ABC, and CBS fell 4.6% that fall compared to the previous year. Some of those viewers found something else to do besides watching TV, but many of them just found something else to watch. According to Nielsen, cable TV viewership rose 25.5% in the fall of 88. At the time, there wasn't much original scripted programming on cable. It was largely reruns of classic shows and syndicated movies, so most channels weren't too affected by the writer's strike. In any case, a good number of viewers found enough worth watching that they switched to cable and never fully went back to the broadcast networks. By late July, the strike showed no signs of being resolved, but in private, both sides were sweating. Many writers were beginning to feel the financial sting of having gone without work for five months. And on the producer's side, the fall TV season was just around the corner, and the number of empty slots in their schedules was beginning to worry them. With so much on the line, both parties eventually agreed to hire a mediator, well-known entertainment lawyer Ken Ziffrin. Over the next couple weeks, Ziffrin took meetings with everyone involved to try and settle the dispute. He met with Guild representatives, with studio execs, and with Nick Counter, the producer's chief negotiator. Little by little, Ziffrin convinced both sides to soften a few of their positions. Then, in early August, he met with them at the headquarters of the AMPTP in Sherman Oaks, California. It took about 16 hours of further negotiation, 
But in the end, a compromise was reached, and after 153 days, the strike was over. The new contract expanded the creative rights of writers and gave them more of a say in choosing directors and actors for certain projects. It also secured them higher residuals from foreign broadcasts. In return, producers got to keep using a sliding payment scale for domestic residuals from one-hour series. Neither side was fully satisfied, but it was enough to get Hollywood back up and running again. That said, it wasn't as easy as flipping a switch. While new scripts were being written, networks still needed something besides reruns to plug the gaps in their schedules. They came up with all kinds of alternative programming to meet that need. ABC, for example, reworked a bunch of scripts from the original Mission Impossible series from the 1960s and then filmed the new version on the cheap in Australia. The network also aired several glitzy, star-studded specials, including Supermodel Search and the Special Olympics Christmas Party, hosted by Maria Shriver and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Meanwhile, NBC and CBS leaned heavily on mystery documentaries and news magazine shows, including the likes of Unsolved Mysteries and 48 Hours. CBS was so desperate for new offerings that it even revived the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour, a popular variety show that had been cancelled 20 years earlier. The Smothers Brothers revival proved short-lived, as did many other stopgap shows and specials commissioned by the major networks. However, one lasting effect of the strike was the proliferation of so-called reality TV. The most famous example is the unscripted show Cops, a documentary-style program that chronicles the lives of police officers as they respond to various calls around the country. The Fox Network picked up the low-cost show from a local station and added it to its Saturday night lineup in early 1989. It became a major hit for the fledgling network and inspired a number of copycat shows throughout the 1990s. As of 2023, Cops has aired well over a thousand episodes and is still in production today, making it the longest-running reality series in TV history. At the time of recording, there's once again talk of an impending writer's strike, and once again, how to handle residuals is at the heart of the conflict. There's no way to know for certain if a new strike is coming, or if it does, how long it might last, or how it might alter the course of popular entertainment. The strike of 1988 accelerated the switch to cable TV and led to a rise in unscripted programming. Today, the film and television landscape is already pretty splintered, with more options than ever for what to watch and where to watch it. But if there was an industry-wide strike, and if it were to go on long enough, we might see another round of unexpected shakeups. So for all you Smothers Brothers fans out there, keep your fingers crossed. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider keeping up with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHC Show. You can also rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, or you can send your feedback directly by writing to thisday at iHeartMedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class.
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 